You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, here we are at the fifth and final bonus episode focusing on the Tony Awards. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and we've been taking a look at some of the shows nominated. We've previously covered Once on this Island, SpongeBob SquarePants, The Musical, Carousel, and The Band's Visit. For today, I wanted to do something a little different and focus on the entire Tony Awards nominee list. And so I sat down with Ryan McPhee, who is the managing news editor at Playbill, And he and I discussed back and forth the technical awards, the creative and acting awards, as well as the Big Four Awards, which is Best Revival for a Play and Musical, and then Best Play and Best Musical. We give our thoughts and opinions on the season as a whole, the entire Broadway season, as well as start to nitpick some of the surprises and snubs that were in this year's nominee list. And then we go through and give our predictions for who we think will win each of the coveted prizes. Well, I am here in the offices of Playbill in Midtown Manhattan with Ryan McPhee. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Absolutely. You are the managing news editor. And what exactly is that, and uh, and what does your work entail? Uh, so I basically run the news desk on the editorial team. We're a fairly small staff. We have about 12 people, most of them writers, but we also have you know, video team, photographers, um, and I handle the news side of the site. So any news story that you see about a show being announced, casting for it, closing, you know, the works um, mm-hmm. sort of goes through me, whether I'm writing it or assigning it and editing it. Gotcha. Else, yeah. And, and what, what is one of your more recent projects you've been working on? Uh, well, the most recent one that came up today was not a news piece, but a feature that I've been working on for the past... Uh, Four months or so. So um, this sounds like a big piece. Uh, yeah, it's uh, quite a long read. Uh, it's the oral history of Legally Blonde, the musical, colon, The Search for Elle Woods, <laughs> um, the MTV reality show that right. aired 10 years ago. Um, so I spoke to 24 people who were a part of that show, from contestants to judges to producers to sort of tell the story of how that happened. Um, and this was specifically done. about the, the, the talent search show. Or, yeah, or this is the, just the reality show. And, I, right. you know, I spoke with, like, Jerry Mitchell and Laura Bell Bundy, right. and people who were involved with the musical who, you know, had some involvement with the 
the reality show as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, focuses on the MTV show. And and what what did you focus on, or what did you find out after talking to all these people for so many months? Uh, well, it was amazing talking to all the performers to see you know what incredible careers they've had since being on the show. A lot of them had never been on Broadway before. Um, for some of them, it was the first time in New York competing on the show, and they've all gone on to have you know terrific Broadway careers. From you know Lauren Zakharin, who was in uh, Great Comet. Um, and a few other Broadway shows. So even uh, on the show, she was Selena Carvajal, and now we know her as Tony Award winner Lena Hall. <laughs> right. Um, so to see, you know, what she took from the experience and how, you know, even though she had some Broadway credits before doing the reality show, what she learned from the show and how that was sort of the genesis of her rebranding in a way into oh, becoming Lena Hall. And and since this is a, a Tony Awards episode, yes. they were nominated for eight the year that they came out, but did not win a single one. Do not get me started <laughs> on that, Patrick. And they, Legally Blonde wasn't even nominated for Best Musical, which no, drives no. me crazy. But it, but, but it had Best Book, Best Score, all, all yeah. the other things, but just not Best Musical. Yeah, yeah. I've had um, many an angry Twitter rant about this very I'm sure. subject. Yes. But we're not here to talk about that. No, no, no. <laughs> Fast forward 10 years, here we are, 2018. And so let's just talk about a basic overview of the season itself. What are your thoughts about the 2018 season? Mm -hmm. Well, looking at it, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting just because for the past two years, you know, I've only been in theater editorial for about five years now. Mm -hmm. um, and in recent years, you know, working on all these um, Tony seasons, there's been a juggernaut where you can kind of, you know, put your eggs in that basket and that's sort of like leading the discussion. Uh, we got Hamilton last year was Dear Van Hansen. And I really don't feel like... Um, we have that this season. There's not one particular show that's like the first show that everyone is going to mention when they're talking about the Tony Awards. It mm. seems a little more balanced this year, which is a nice change of pace, I think. And also what's interesting, I think, about the season is that it's been so play-heavy versus musical-heavy. I, I think that, that overall, the new plays, the play revivals have have in some ways overshadowed, or at least in numbers-wise, overshadowed the musicals this season. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is like if you look at like the four musicals that are nominated for Best Musical, there's like I said, there's no like juggernaut. There's no one that's like running away with it. They each have their own like individual stories as why they were nominated in their right. own narratives. Um, and I think that's also allowing us to look at the plays, especially the revivals of plays this year um, are particularly strong um, to see how those are entering the conversation as well. And it's been a lot of those plays, especially, have come from Britain. So there's yeah. been somewhat of a British invasion this, is this a year. British every season. You know, I mean, if you were to talk about one sort of leading that conversation, you have Harry Potter and the Cursed I mean, Child. Yeah, Harry Potter course. is the big one. Um, I, I would say probably of, of all the shows, including musicals, Harry Potter is probably the biggest juggernaut of them all. Totally, and by like name alone, too. Yes. I mean, you know, we can talk about the show later, but yeah. just the fact that Harry Potter has now taken over Broadway is... Yeah. And then also from uh, London, you have the revival of Angels in America, at least what I'm considering the front runner in the revival of a play category. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, those are just two titles that... That have came from British roots, but yeah. you know, even you know, in best play category, you have the children and Farinelli and the King. In addition to Harry Potter, I, that category is dominated by British titles. Yeah, the National Theatre of London definitely has been busy over the last right. year or two, and now all their their now products, the international <laughs> right? And now they're coming here. <laughs> yeah. So, with regards to this season, what stood out to you as the surprises, as far as nominations, as well as snubs of people or shows that didn't get nominated? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I was pleasantly surprised by the representation of SpongeBob in the nominations. Yes, I mean, it, it leads along with 
Mean yeah, Girls right. as the most nominated mm-hmm. two yeah, musicals. Yeah, they both got 12 nominations, season. so they're the leaders of the pack this yeah. year. Um, yeah, and with SpongeBob especially, because that show opened in the fall, and they have had a pretty hard time finding an audience. I loved this show. I know so many people who love the show, both people who grew up watching the animated series and people that didn't really know anything about it. And I'm one of those people. I didn't grow up with it. I didn't really watch it or know about it. Yeah. So I, I came to it with fresh eyes mm-hmm. myself. And even people who knew the series and didn't like this series. <laughs> you know, I'm sure yeah. there are plenty of parents who've begrudgingly taking, taken their kids to that show, you know, having that theme song stuck in their heads. But then seeing this, you know, story unfold, a beautiful story about community and friendship and what it means to sort of be an underdog yeah and yeah i was i was just like surprisingly moved by that show and not only the show itself but also tina landau's direction of it and her vision and i know yeah yeah, it was a completely different take on it i mean she had to bring live people into these animated both like one's a sponge one's a starfish one's like all these different creatures Mm -hmm. into uh, a human world yeah, and the fact that she said right off the bat, like, I don't want to do a theme park attraction, right. I don't right. want to do mascots, and that she was able to come with this, you know, using found objects and elements that are representative of the characters without necessarily, like, directly translating what you see on the TV screen. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just thought it was brilliant. And as far as snubs and surprises, certainly right. celebrities are always a big part of, of each Broadway season. And some notable ones, Amy Schumer for Meteor mm-hmm. Shower was nominated for, for lead actress, even though the show itself didn't get anything, but yet she was, was noticed for that. And snubbed was Chris Evans in Lobby Hero, mm-hmm. whereas some of his other actors did get nominated. Yeah, and you also have Uma Thurman, who didn't get nominated for right. Asian Woman. That show was shut out entirely. Yeah, yeah, didn't uh-huh. receive a single nomination at all. Of course, I would probably say the biggest celebrity is Denzel Washington this year. He did get recognized, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. And he also has some, you know, theater clout himself. Like, he's already a Tony Award winner. I, like, I don't view him necessarily as like the Hollywood name infiltrating Broadway. True, and, true. You know what true. I mean? He's like, been here before yeah. mm-hmm. and so and so he definitely has that credit. He's the like, real deal. Yeah, yeah. He didn't <laughs> he didn't make his Broadway debut or anything this year. Another show that, that actually closed early time in the Conways and then Elizabeth McGovern, she was the lead actress oh, yeah. in that mm-hmm. and she she wasn't recognized. She she got pretty good reviews for it, but yet right. but yeah, I th- I think shows like that that, that have the three or four month run are always at a disadvantage when it comes to Tony Awards. Yeah, and I'm always curious about that with uh, like the nonprofit theater companies like Roundabout and Manhattan Theater Club, how they program their seasons knowing full well that the ones that are sort of later the in, in the, the spring, season, closer to Tony season are gonna be the ones that are gonna be like the main contenders for them. Right. I actually really love Time in the Conways and I was hoping for like Elizabeth McGovern um, and Charlotte Perry uh, for featured actress, oh, right, right. Um, and uh, they were shut out entirely. I think, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They yeah, were. yeah. I didn't see a single mm-hmm. nomination for them. And I'm sure, you know, not being around on the boards around Tony season is a prime factor in that. Exactly, know? because once the nominations come out, that's when the Tony voters actually start to go out, and we'll see a lot of these shows that maybe they haven't seen throughout the season. Right. So if they're not available, mm-hmm. then they either have to read up on the show or hopefully have seen it earlier in the season yeah. so then they, can, act, they mm-hmm. can actually vote on it. Yeah, especially because so many Tony voters are not New York-based. It really is... Right, right. They're all over of, the country. Yeah, because a lot of them are representing like the touring markets. Absolutely. Um, that's how they're um, a, a Tony voter through their work on like the national circuit. So... They're yeah, not being on, coming to New York all the time to see a show every time that there's something here. Yeah, because being on tour myself, I got to meet some of those Tony voters mm-hmm. in, in California, Texas, and, and throughout the country. So yeah, they're representing their own markets and what those markets view as 
the best of the season mm -hmm. as well. And another one of those shows that closed early was uh, Prince of Broadway, or I, right. or I think it actually only, only had a limited run, right? Right, yeah, all of these, that were, they're all from the, the nonprofit houses, Manhattan Theater right. Club or Roundabout. So they're all limited engagements, and sometimes I secretly, like as a news editor, if they don't announce that they're extending, yeah. I say that they're closing early, just because I feel like they build in that time to extend. Oh, I'm sure they always the build in a few weeks and or a month like or whatever. Seriously, they don't ever say, like, extended for one week by popular demand, for three weeks or whatever. Yeah. It's like, mm, well, we know what's going on. Yeah. Right, right. It served its purpose, served its time. Right. Done. And they're yeah. also all subscriber bases, these theaters. Right. So and so once huge, all the like, subscribers have seen it. It's nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. So let's dive in to the categories themselves. We'll kind of do an overview first with the technical categories. Okay. Now, Harry Potter was won a lot of Oscars for its technical elements in the in the movies. Mm -hmm. So in the play world, now that it's on Broadway, should we expect it to kind of sweep the technical awards here as well? Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, have you seen the show yet? Yes, I, know you're, okay. I, I did, I did I actually your, see the show. Yeah. Yeah, lucky, I won yeah. the lottery I of know. all things, <laughs> so I was very happy to win it, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a safe bet to say that it's going to sweep the technical categories. Yeah. It leads with that. It's a beautifully staged, mm -hmm. even like the choreography nomination for Stephen Hoggett, right. I'm thrilled about. Like I, just the way that the story unfolds through you know, set and light and even like special effects and how all of those sort of help create that magical world, I think, is going to exactly. be Exactly, and I think with a show like Harry Potter, more so than other plays, it depends on its special effect elements, its technical elements, in right. order to make the, the storyline progress. To, I mean, there are certain elements where someone has to disappear on stage in order to get to the next scene. If mm -hmm. they don't disappear, we don't get to the next scene. So, <laughs> so technically, the show has to be flawless. When I saw it that night, I didn't see a single glitch the whole night. Right. There may have been, but I certainly mm -hmm. didn't see any glitches. And so it's, I mean, the technical elements and creating literally that magic on stage and things appearing and disappearing and someone over here, over there, and then things moving, it's, uh, it's rather, rather spectacular to watch. And now on a show like that, then does the technical heavy side affect its awards and other categories because it's such like a technical piece, then can its book, can its actors stand out amongst all that? Yeah, I think the show really does succeed in, you know, getting past those technical elements. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're necessary to tell the story, but it is also, you know, showcasing these complex characters from the books in new ways. Um, I think that's also like looking at the larger picture of seeing recognizable titles on Broadway as long as you're doing it in a way that like shows why this merits a stage adaptation right like Spongebob for instance right right that, like, that's yeah, another I don't want to see like a you know a theme park show on Broadway by no means but that right. doesn't mean Spongebob doesn't have a place on Broadway and I think the same is you know true for Harry Potter and speaking of Spongebob the sound design award is back Thankfully, yes. at the Tony Awards, it was gone for too many years. Now it's back. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, of sound, I think SpongeBob leads that category as far Absolutely, as yeah. what had to happen. The fact that they have a Foley artist on stage, yes. like off to the side, you know, creating that world through, again, like these like found objects and mm -hmm. you know, the whistles and everything is fascinating. Yeah, I spoke, uh, one of my earlier episodes, I spoke with Kelvin Moonlo, who uh -huh. was uh, in the show, and he was describing what his space looks like, the Foley artist. The, basically, the choreography that he has to go through in order to know where everything is for this sound, for that sound, and he's doing it all live. 
So when they move, when they make a gesture, when a prop comes out, and on this word he hits this, and on that movie he hits that. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I think that alone should win for sound design, yeah. just with all that <laughs> in mind. And so, are there any other technical awards that stood out to you as far as shows that, um, that relied on it or either stood out above and beyond the others? Well, looking at the lighting design of a play category, obviously, you know, Harry Potter, that, those lighting effects were a huge part in creating that magical world and Absolutely. all of that. But also, Farinelli and the King was nominated, uh, Paul Russell. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you saw it. If you were, uh, there are a few shows that I, I never got around to see. Right. I mean, obviously, you're in the business of seeing <laughs> these shows, so I'm, I'm, I'm relying on you to, to tell me about some of these shows I haven't seen. Oh, well, that one was, I, I think, entirely, or if not entirely, then predominantly lit by candlelight. Mm. Um, so that was pretty fascinating to see, like, that world and, like, that authenticity of the design element playing into the story and the time of the story. Um, so I was happy to see that recognized. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. to go to such a simple lighting element to, uh, to mm -hmm. light an entire show. That yeah. sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. Looking at costume design, I thought, again, Spongebob. Like, all of the... This is just going to be me talking about Spongebob this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 in the musical category, it seems like Spongebob, and in the play category, it seems like Harry Potter. Yeah, they, I would they, say they those are sort of, like, the front runners in the design categories. They Absolutely. may not sweep them entirely, but I think they're each safe the majority. But with both of them categories. receiving so many nominations, then, then they're bound to probably receive most of those technical awards as, no, they, that's true. as they led the way mm -hmm. in that. And so now on to the acting and creative award categories. Since we're on SpongeBob, Ethan Slater seems a lock for lead actor. What do you think? I'm leaning more towards Joshua Henry for Carousel. Okay. Um, just because I, I adored Ethan and his performance, um, and he's truly having like this terrific moment, and I'm really excited for him. But uh, Joshua Henry seems like someone who, you know, he's been nominated before. He's had a series of, you know, really fantastic roles, but hasn't sort of led the discussion mm -hmm. of the shows that he's been in before. Um, and I feel like that's happening right now with Carousel. Um, and all, I mean, like, the show, of course, the musical Carousel has plenty of problematic elements, you know, well, people it's, raising it's a, their eyebrows for it's a show things. of its time yeah exactly you know? and, to, and to bring um, it to 2018 those certain elements are going to right. stick out and to have Joshua Henry in that role of Billy Bigelow mm -hmm. um, I think was a fascinating choice and I feel like the reasons for that working so well lie largely on him and his performance right right because just going interracial in casting is interesting of itself but you have to have the right people and he's he fits the character, he fits the part, and rose to, to the occasion mm -hmm. to really deliver a great performance. As far as lead actress in a musical, now this one is actually the, the, the most crowded of all the categories. It has yeah. six nominations. Mm -hmm. So that means somewhere in the voting, there was there's a tie or there's yeah. someone who's so close. Yeah, so the way that works is, um, let me, I hope I get the numbers right, but uh, they determined this year that if there were nine eligible candidates in any of the competitive categories, mm -hmm. then five of them would be nominated. Um, and then through the voting for the nominations, if there's a tie between the fifth and sixth, or sixth and seventh even, hmm. then all of those would be included in the nominations. So this means that whoever, um, as they were determining the nominees, yeah. there was a tie between the 
the, the fifth, fifth person, and the sixth person, so they were both included. Actress-wise, both in the feature category and lead category, it's uh, it's pretty crowded as far as women's roles, which mm -hmm. I think is great that, yep. the, that there's so many choices in, in both of those. And Angels is has 11 nominations, and I believe it's the most nominated play ever in Tony yeah, history. Yeah, Broadway history. Yeah, which is, which is pretty amazing for itself. And each of those categories, uh, actor and actress, uh, have strong choices. Now, this is a question that I have because it's such an ensemble piece that it's hard to kind of pick out who is lead, who's featured. So how does the, is that determined by producers or is that determined by the Tony voters as they sort it out? Yeah. Well, first by default, it's determined by the billing. Um, like if you open the play bill and you look at like the if they're in top, page. top of yeah, the title, if they're above right. the title, then they are by default a lead. lead. If they are below the title, they are by default featured. Um, but that's not always the case. You might have you know one of those Hollywood names right. or, or you know a marquee name, a recognizable name in a featured role on the show. But because of who they are, of course, you know, you know contracts and negotiations and all that are they're above the title. Um, so it's up to the administration committee, not the nominating committee for the Tonys, but the administration committee, oh, okay. which is a group of industry professionals from a variety of fields. And they sort of go over you know, how things play out by default, and if there's anything that needs to be discussed or changed, um, that's their time to do that. And then they, they meet four times a year specifically for this to go through whatever shows had just opened since the last time they had met. Oh, okay. Um, and they determine the rulings for each of the shows. Like, for instance, like Ethan Slater is not about the title in Spongebob. Right, but um, definitely but he's, he's the But he is the title character. So, so, I, uh, so he's clearly the lead. So that was a decision that they had to specify. Right. And that comes both from the administration committee making these rulings, but then also the producers can sort of like petition for certain things. Right, um, because I believe in the featured actress category, if I'm not mistaken, it is Denise Guff. Yes. Yes, which in my estimation in watching the show, she's of all the actresses, she's the lead actress um, among all the women right. in the show, uh -huh. but yet somehow she falls under the yeah. feature. Yeah, well, I think looking at the show as a whole, uh, Harper is a featured role. Right. In terms of just looking at the female characters in the show, certainly right. she is the leading one. Right. Um, I think for Summer, for instance, like that had like kind of be like an interesting thing because you have three women playing. Right, you have three women yeah, playing the title character. Playing Donna Summer. Um, and then one of them, they said, was considered for lead. That mm -hmm. was uh, LaShawn's. Uh, and then the other two uh, were considered eligible for featured, which is actually not a decision I know if I agree with. Um, they're all built below the title, and I think maybe they should have stayed equally featured or equally lead. At least Ariana DeBose, as um, she's the middle Donna who they call Disco Donna. Oh, okay. There's Duckling, yeah, there's Duckling Donna, Disco Donna, and Diva Donna. Yeah, so she's Disco <laughs> Donna. Um, now, and then, now, would a decision like that based upon, like, well, this one got 20 minutes of the show, but this one got 40 minutes. So then does it based upon just minutes on stage, or? Oh, uh, I mean, I wish I were in those rooms <laughs> right, to like, yeah. see how they make yeah, these decisions. Exactly. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, sometimes there is, like, some straight-up math that goes into it, yeah. like, specifically for scores that are eligible, which we can go into in a second. Exactly. Um, but um, the people in the roles could be a part of it. Like, the fact that you have LaShawn's in this role, you'd want her to be considered in the leading one, and maybe the others who are newer to the industry, newer to the Tonys, have them in the featured to right. begin, that could be a part of it. And also, the older uh, Donna, D, 
diva Donna sort of narrates the show in a lot of ways. So that could be a part of it, that she sort of has that, like, Right, right, so she, she's presence. the one who's kind, kind of, of like, um, pushing the story. Like Alison Bechdel in Fun Home, like having exactly. Beth Malone as lead, even though they all sort of have, like, equal playtime on stage, the yeah. three Allisons. And so, and so getting to other surprises within the creative categories, you had mentioned Stephen Hoggett for Harry Potter's yes. choreography, which uh-huh. is, uh, again, it's, it's very rare for a play to be nominated for choreography. Yeah. I think the last time was Curious Incident. For Stephen Hoggett, yeah. No, right, that was him as well. Uh, I had forgotten that he yeah. did that as well. Because choreography is not just about pretty moves or pretty dancing, it's moving the story forward. Yeah, how it's you about use telling the, to tell story. the story. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like what I mentioned, um, you know, sort of looking at the math of how things break down mm-hmm. in the original score category, right. more than 50% of the score has to be composed specifically for that production. Which is like Frozen, even though it came from the movie, more yeah, than more than half of the songs are, are all brand new to the, new. Show, to the story, yeah. Right. Um, but for Harry Potter, I was like fully entranced by that music in that show, Imogen Heap's music. But I didn't actually realize this in the moment, until uh, not until later, but most of the, those melodies and that music comes from her pre-existing catalog. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of hers. Okay. And so I recognized right. a lot of the, oh, the melodic themes uh-huh. as, oh, that's that song. Oh, that's that song. And a lot of the melodies repeated and became like a theme throughout, the, throughout both parts, yeah. one and two. Okay, I think we're ready to get to the big four. Okay, let's do this. So best revival of a play. We'll just kind of go through those nominees. We have Angels in America. We have Three Tall Women. We have The Iceman Cometh, Lobby Hero, and Travesties. Mm-hmm. My pick, just having seen it, is Angels in America. I would I, agree with you, yeah. I think of this, Three Tall Women might be the other one that could come up and win, mm-hmm. just because it's, it's gotten such, such good press and such good reviews for the three women in it. Mm-hmm. I think Angels in America as a piece is just the behemoth that's hard to beat. I fully agree with that. Here's some trivia for you. Yes. Um, so uh, The Iceman Cometh premiered on Broadway in 1946, and that was actually the first season of the Tony Awards. Oh, okay. Um, so, and there have been four revivals since then, including this one. Uh, guess how many Tony Awards the title of The Iceman Cometh has won? Across, from from its category. original to its revivals? Yeah, throughout the four productions that have now been eligible for Tony Awards. Now, the the hopeful part of me wants to say that at least the original one and maybe a couple of the revivals. And I'm talking like total awards. Okay. Like through all the categories. Oh, through all the categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would have no idea. Uh, zero. So the Iceman Cometh has not won a has single never won a Tony, Tony Award. How about that? Isn't that crazy? That, it, yeah. Like, like, you have to think about what could it have been up against. I mean, it's, it's probably one of Eugene O'Neill's best known or maybe even most produced plays. Uh, and to not win anything is yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think it's going to be getting revivable play this year. So. No, no, I, th- I yeah, we I may think, need to wait for another production to break that curse. Yeah, I, th- I think Angels America. It's it's interesting that it seems dated, but at the same time, there's certain elements of it that are still very present. With yeah, us. totally. It's like one of those like look how far we've come and how far we still have to go kind yeah. of things. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so now on to revival of a musical. Uh-huh. Again, as we said, the musical. Was a little was a little subdued. There were three shows, yes. so three nominations. Exactly. That's it. I've seen Once on This Island, and but I've heard wonderful things about My Fair Lady and Carousel, and so f- from its from its sheer size, I like Once on This Island because it's kind of the little musical that right. could, and 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 it was such a an intimate show, and uniquely staged and round that I like it. 
but in everything that I'm reading, Carousel seems to be the favorite. I think also My Fair Lady is, is among the, I think you have like two sides of it. You have yeah. the sort of, you know, the little revival that could with Once on this Island um, that I would love to see recognized for its artistic achievements mm -hmm. and how they, you know, sort of recreated the show and found new ways to tell it. Um, but then you have these sort of, you know, gargantuan productions of classic shows, um, you know, My Fair Lady and Carousel, yeah. which Once on this Island doesn't really have that sort of inherent like prestige well, yeah. in a way that, it's known but you know, yeah Learner it's not it's not the classic right it's not the yeah. classic the, uh -huh. that those two other pieces are but people were going wild over my fair lady and i think you know they lincoln center might be able to find a way to build off of that and show like what we we're talking about with angels that kind of like look how far we've come but also see how this is still relevant to today right i think also carousel has that as well like there are ways to explore why we need a production of those musicals today. Mm -hmm. I may not necessarily agree with that myself, but I can see how producers can sort of use that to sort of build a conversation um, and keep their shows in the forefront for these and do you think, voting conversations. Yeah, and do you think that the grandness of both of those productions, My Fair Lady and Carousel, kind of give it an edge over such an intimate musical as Once on this Island? It's certainly possible, and we were talking earlier about like the you know the makeup of the voters, mm -hmm. um, and you do have a lot that are from out of town markets. How is the show going to translate on the road? A traveling right. production. I believe of those three, My Fair Lady has perhaps smartly announced that they will go on tour. Um, it, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. pretty sure that all three of these would go on tour at some mm -hmm. point. But yeah, My Fair Lady makes the most sense. I think they're the only ones of those three that have actually officially announced that. And it certainly seems so. like you know I don't want to speak for the rest of the country, but I would assume that My Fair Lady is probably the more recognizable of the three titles totally, yeah. as far as the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so it makes more sense that that would definitely go out and, and, and would do well, I think, no matter how it does in the Tonys. Yeah, I, I would say the same as Carousel, for Carousel as well. With Ones on this Island, it's, again, not as recognizable. Yeah. Might be a little bit of a tougher sell, but a Tony Award for Best Revival of Musical could be what it needs. Yeah, could be what that. it needs, so. yeah. All right, so now we're on to Best Play. So uh -huh. we have The Children, Farinelli and the King, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Junk, and Latin History for Morons. Yes. Now, Latin History for Morons is actually a one-person play, mm -hmm. and so I've wondered why they haven't done like a special Tony Award for like best one person like shows, solo performance, yeah, solo or, something? performance yeah. or something like that. Do you think that that's coming, or do you think they'll just always put it into I play? I just category? don't think there are enough of them to you know have their own category. They had that like special event. Uh, what was it called? Do you remember? It was yeah. like a special featured performance production something. Right, and I feel like you know it's possible that where that's still around, like that's where something like Latin History for Morons or. Um, Michael Moore show right. would have been. Um, but also, John Leguizamo is being awarded a special Tony honor this year. Oh, I mean, okay. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Again, Bruce Springsteen is someone who would have been in that category. You yes. Know, he's not necessarily up for best musical or best play. Right. Um, or best lead actor. In right. <laughs> right. Um, so do you think because of that, then that may take him out of I think for best play? I think it's possible. I, I think for a lot of people, like, that is the win. And also, the fact that it is a solo performance, the nomination is an honor to be included in best play. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. To, to stand alone, literally, on stage, right. but then also to, to be mm -hmm. amongst these full production plays. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly an honor. Yeah, I've so, also, like, this is, like, my conspiracy theory, but um, if you look at the people who have received the 
special, like, honorary Tony, a lot of times it's, like, someone who was mysteriously left off of the nominations. Like, oh, so, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I re- like, one in particular that I remember was um, Brian Sox Mitchell. He wasn't nominated for, I think that was Shuffle Along that year. Oh, um, right, yeah. And I think he was in my predictions to be nominated, but I was half well, right because well, he got, like, a special It's honor. so sad how Shuffle Along closed the way that it did. Uh, yeah, it was... It was doing well. It was, it was hard to get a ticket, at least here in New York. Mm-hmm. And, and then just because of one person needing to, to bow out, mm-hmm. then they close the whole production. So who, is that the administrative committee or who decides if, okay, this show or this person wasn't nominated, let's give a special Tony Award for this? Well, for, like, I don't, exactly. like, I'm who not knows? implying that. <laughs> I'm merely making an observation. <laughs> but who, who uh, does I think, decide I think it is uh, through the administration committee. Okay. And those are, those are different from like the Lifetime Achievement Awards, which are going to Cheetah Rivera this mm-hmm. year and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Right. Now, I, I happen to read Andrew Lloyd Webber has a prediction for Best Musical. So we'll, so, so we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we're on Best Play right now. I think for sheer production value, it's going to be Harry Potter. If it's not Harry Potter, what else could it be? Right. I could see pre- the children is like remarkably timely. Right, um, I, I, but didn't, again, I didn't get like, to see it's that. It's one of those shows that was a limited run. Right, it came and went. And yeah. Um, and then you also have Fair Nelly and the King. I would say like it's between those three with Harry Potter sort of you know leading the charge. Um, I will say with Harry Potter, this is kind of one of those instances where, because the thing is with Best Musical, you're looking at both the title and the production, mm-hmm. but you also have awards for Best Score, and best book. So you are awarding the writers of those musicals in separate categories. You're not really doing the same with best play. I I probably just have overlooked this or just assumed. So there is no best... Yeah, the best play Tony category goes, it's both for the producers of the production and the the playwright. So the the writers of whatever wins best musical, they don't win for that. They only win if they win best score or best book. How interesting. Yet another category that seems like there should be a Tony yeah, I feel like there should be like best production of a play and best right. play. Right, and Maybe then like, best written. Right, yeah, best exactly. writing like Something whatever. that honors the, that celebrates the playwrights and then one that celebrates the production itself, you know, what the producers have. It just seems like that that would, that would be an obvious category. So I guess that's why <laughs> it's striking me right now. You know, I've been watching the Tony Awards for decades now and, and just now realizing, oh, there's no best writing. For, mm-hmm. Oh, well then... Then yeah, th- then I guess then that factors into what gets best played because I've at least from what I've read I wasn't able to see the children, but from what I've read the children was a better written play, but maybe Harry Potter's the better produced play. All right, so now to the to the, what is presumably the biggest award of the night, best musical. It was either seven or eight total musicals for the season that were eligible, and only four were nominated: The Band's Visit, Frozen, Mean Girls, and SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, SpongeBob and Mean Girls lead the pack with, mm-hmm. with 12 nominations, but I'm rooting for the little musical that could, The Band's Visit. I am too. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of been the one that has been on people's minds for this award mm-hmm. uh, since it opened. It was already, you know, like a off-Broadway critic's darling. Right. Um, and people were excited to see it come to Broadway. And it's also, it's smartly done. It's, um, again, like, sort of like a timely, simple story, beautiful music. Like, it has all these elements, but again, it's not necessarily like that 
sort of showstopper best musical. Well, yeah, it's definitely not the mega musical. You know, that is these going to go on and have a healthy touring life. Yeah, and, and it's probably going to be a much harder sell than something like Frozen, Mean Girls, or even SpongeBob on the road. Now, now this is the interesting one. This kind of takes us back to when Wicked and Avenue Q right. were battling it out, and Wicked didn't need a single Tony Award. It was it was going to go, and it still would be running today with or without that. And certainly touring wise. Avenue Q was the smaller one, the harder sell, that needed that best musical probably in order for it to have a life. Yeah, it wouldn't be still over at New World Sages right, right now. Right, right, right. It's still running off Broadway. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if if that plays a part, because Frozen, Mean Girls, SpongeBob, they're all going to go on tour as well and, and mm -hmm. do Im immensely well. But the band's visit, like you said, is would need a Tony Award. Do you think that that's ever plays into the role of, of how they vote? Oh, I think it 100% does. Yeah. Um, whether or not I think it should is sort of up for debate. And I yeah. mean, I think that's just sort of like an inherent problem with any sort of awards. I don't think that's like a Tony-specific problem. But I, I do think, you know, sort of seeing how it will affect like the longevity of the show, not only just for Broadway, but what it means for the show beyond Broadway mm -hmm. is a, de a determining factor. And especially if it's a deserving show like The Band's Visit, then giving it, voting for it for Best Musical could elevate it yeah, to Yeah, this is like by no level. means would be like a pity vote for a show that no. needs it to, you know. No, 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 it's not, it's not like, yeah. oh, yeah, let's just keep this little <laughs> show going. No, the band's bit is definitely worthy of, yeah. of any awards uh -huh. that it gets. It's been nominated in the acting categories as well, so there's plenty of, of awards that can go to it beyond just, uh, you know, best score and best musical. Yeah, and Katrina like Lincoln in particular, like I need to mention her because right. her performance is just like, Yes, she seems to be as the winner for that category. She definitely seems to be the, in the top spot there. Mm -hmm. And then for featured actor, Ariel Stoschel seems to be uh, on a lot of people's minds. Tony uh -huh. Shalhoub, how do, you, how do you view him and his chances for best actor? I mean, I absolutely want to see Vance Visit represented, but uh, looking at the people he's up against, they are, you know, either classic musical theater roles or this sort of musical theater powerhouse that, you know this guy who's carrying right. the weight of Bikini Bottom on his back <laughs> like, right. um, and uh, so I think uh, Tony Shalhoub for the band's visit is a bit of a a bit more of an uphill climb for him yeah yeah, yeah, I can see that. And and I mentioned that Andrew Lloyd Webber put, put in his two cents. I have a feeling he, he voted for the band's visit. visit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he voted for the band's okay. visit. He, just, he, he loved the, the music. He, he was just couldn't go on and on about it. So now it gets to the actual presentation of the Tony Awards, the Tony Awards show itself. Mm -hmm. And there's been even controversy with that. A lot of times they won't show certain awards on TV and they show others. For example, Best Book of a Musical right. doesn't get shown. But the year Cindy Lauper won, yes, they, they put it it on, on TV. This year is probably the same with Tina Fey nominated. They may want that on TV, or what do you think? That makes sense. I mean, I don't think it's... Um, I think mm -hmm. she, it's certainly up there, but it's not like she's absolutely winning that award, so they know that they're going to have a Tina Fey acceptance speech that they oh, right. Like, when Lynn was nominated, you know, for Hamilton in 2016, did they show both his wins for Best Book and Best Score? on the broadcast. I can't remember. See, it's been yeah. so long since I've actually seen the broadcast <laughs> because I, I, I don't have cable anymore. I'm, you know, I'm in the, the Hulu generation and so if I, I see things after the fact or clips here and there and so I rarely ever get to watch the full production of the, the Tony broadcast. I want to say both of his were 
broadcast. Like, actually, mm-hmm. they happened. It wasn't like they showed clips of... Well, Hamilton was such... like, like Exactly. Like, like, that's a reason to show it. Because, yeah, because anything that Hamilton wins, mm-hmm. you probably want to showcase that. Yeah, and already before the Tonys, it was already sort of that... It had that sort of juggernaut quality to it. Absolutely, yeah. And so, who do you think is going to be the big winner overall in the play categories and in the musical categories? Uh, in the play categories, uh, I would say Harry Potter... Um, and a large part of that will be, you know, what it racks up in the technical categories. Right. Because how much do you think the Olivier, the Drama Desk Award, Outer Critics Circle, all those awards play into how Tony voters vote? I don't think it plays into how Tony voters, like, make their decisions, mm-hmm. necessarily, or I wouldn't expect it to, really. But I do think it is a way to see, like, who's sort of, like, a part of that conversation already. Okay. So, see, I would say that of, of play-wise... I, I think Harry Potter. Yeah, I think will determine. Uh, it'll be determined by the Techno Awards. But I would see Angels in America as probably oh, yeah. being mm-hmm. the the bigger winner, play wise, because I think it's gonna run most of the acting categories, which are right, which, which are a little bit more notable and bigger as far as the the audience. Yeah, yeah. Sort of Andrew Garfield, Nathan Lane, yeah. Denise Scott sort of like leading that charge as part of that show. And you also have Susan Brown who's nominated. And I'm I'm just gonna say if Nathan Lane doesn't win for that, <laughs> I, I I I don't know how. Anyone could have been better than his performance this year. I granted, I well, didn't I see all the plays. I will say uh, one snub that I was kind of upset about was James McArdle played Lewis. In the production. I thought he was astounding. I was so which, moved by his performance, and then which, he wasn't which even is interesting because it's always hard when when you don't like a character right. in a play, <laughs> but yet you recognize that the actor's doing a good job at being this horrible character. And so it was difficult because I didn't like Lewis the character as well. So it was difficult for me to latch on to his performance whereas Nathan Lane even though he's a horrible yeah, character yeah you like Nathan Lane <laughs> what are you trying to say <laughs> but what, what, what I'm saying is, is that I, I could enjoy his horribleness it, sure. it, it was just like okay. oh he's just like like you, you almost waited for him to say something else in a, like what's he going to say next like mm-hmm. there was a anticipation every time he was on stage what's his character going to do next whereas with Lewis I just want him to go away so it, it's these subjective visceral reactions that you have to a character uh-huh. that obviously I'm sure play into to how they get voted or, or nominated as well. Mm-hmm. But I just can't see anyone beating Nathan Lane. Probably, yeah. I mean, I also wouldn't be terribly upset to see Brian Tyree Henry um, win for Lobby Hero. For Lobby Hero. Because um, I, I thought he was like such a vital component of that show and he did such a fantastic job. And I was happy to see him nominated in the show when he's, you know, with people like Michael Sarah and Chris Evans. Yeah, to, yeah to, to be able to stand out whenever there's more notable names and faces on stage, yeah, definitely takes a lot. And as far as musicals, who do you see as being the, the bigger winner? I'd like to say The Band's Visit. I, I can see it winning um, score, although I would also like to see SpongeBob win score just to see like how that plays out. <laughs> I, did, I, I, I know, because I... Yeah, because I, I... Like, I what had, happens if I had happens. an episode about SpongeBob, and I was just listing 13 different artists or acts that that are within that category uh-huh. of best score because they, they each wrote one song and so one song is featured so yes that would be interesting to see <laughs> lady Annabellum walk up and accept or or ti or you know all these different and people. do they each give their own acceptance speech does this go on for like 40 <laughs> minutes yeah yeah so how are they going to decide if that happens gives... and maybe they don't show best book like they don't <laughs> <laughs> right we won't have time because yeah, who, who are they going to designate to to be the the spokesman for all of these artists that, that have won? Yeah. Um, so so as far as um, any other thoughts that you had or just uh, takeaways that we can have from this season or these nominations, I'll tell you what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that SpongeBob SquarePants receives 
some sort of recognition and claim because honestly, for the Broadway production, it does kind of need that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe yeah, not. Yeah, which is so interesting. I think uh-huh. of all the, the the mega musicals, it it seems name name recognition wise like it should be a mega musical. But it also between those musicals, like you hear like Frozen, you already know. Oh yeah, that's a musical, and that works as a musical. Yeah. SpongeBob, you don't get that. Yeah, especially for a ticket buying. You kind of have to wrap your brain around. Um, is that a musical? Yeah, it's a much yeah. tougher sell to convince. But again, like that's the genius of Tina Landau. Yeah, and and, and I Carol. think because it's seen as a children's show, then I think it's going to be for families. It's going to be for kids, and so mm-hmm. maybe adults, thirties, forties, fifties, and older, they're like, why do I need to see a children's musical? Right. Having seen it, it's fun and definitely catered to a family type musical, but it's not a kids show. Yeah, at there's all. more to take out of it. For sure. Absolutely, uh-huh. absolutely. Um, yeah, I kind of like it too. Um, I mean, this is not, like, this has a, had a very different problem, but um, the play Indecent last season. Oh, right, yes. Um, you know, that was having a really tough time finding its audience. Um, and then Rebecca Teichman won for uh, Best Director. Um, and that helped the show a little bit. They ended up extending their run because I think it was partly with the Tony Awards, and it, I think it may have been before the, the actual awards. I think it was during the nominations that they extended. They had posted a closing notice, and they extended for a few weeks after that. But I think some representation in the awards could help SpongeBob for a little while longer. Whatever wins will, will always seize a bump, but I think there there's some shows that even without the win, I mean, Harry Potter is sold out through next spring. Right. So it's it's okay. <laughs> it's it's gonna do just yeah. fine. And, and, and also, you know, with the musicals, uh, a large part of it is not just the wins, but also having the performance on the ceremony. Yes. Yeah, because uh, because like like you said, bands visit once on this island. These are lesser known shows nationally, and so to get to get you know they have to pick the right song, they have to pick right. the right performance and production value, and pr- present that on the Tony Awards so that people can kind of get to know these musicals that maybe they don't know. Mm-hmm. And something that I found out that, that maybe our listeners don't even know is that they have to pay mm-hmm. in order to perform on the Tony Awards. Now they've been nominated, but in order for them to perform on the Tony broadcast, they have to pay tens of thousands of dollars yeah. in order to be shown, which mm-hmm. I, I find interesting because Without those performances, no one would turn into the Tonys. Right. So I don't really understand why they need to pay. Let's just say they all boycott and said, no, we're not going to pay. You, you either have us on or you don't. It would just be a lot of people reading off winners and speeches. That would be the whole broadcast, which I don't think anyone would tune into. Yeah, I mean, I That's think my would thought. be... We certainly wouldn't have like the full-scale production numbers right. that we have now. Right. I, so it's, it's just these little... I, like, but at the end of the day, like it... They have to pay for it, but there is such a huge return on investment for them. Oh, oh, I'm not saying that yeah. that's not worth the advertising. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I see it as advertising for the show, and I think it's worth it. I just think it's strange that the Tony broadcast makes them pay when, to me, mm-hmm. they don't have a show without it. Yeah, that, well, also a lot of that cost is, I think, beyond just the actual, you know, spot on the broadcast, you yeah. know, in terms of rehearsals and paying the people involved. And Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. But Some shows crowdfund their... Tony performance, even when they probably already booked their performance slot anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just so people can have a, a part. It's like I, I helped put that on the Tony Awards. Yeah. Okay. So so what is what is Playbill doing specifically for the the Tony Awards? Yeah. Well, we need to actually figure that out ourselves and actually do the full rundown. But typically, how it works is that we have a number of people there at Radio City, a number of people who are working remotely. I'm usually in the media room at the Tonys, which is sort of like across the street from Radio City, mm-hmm. um, and that's where you know after someone wins and they give their speech, they sort of usher them out and to this other 
building and they have a series of rooms um, and I'm in there with a handful of reporters from other outlets and they have them up there. They sort of give like some brief remarks, maybe if they wanted to add to their speech or clarify anything, things like that. Um, and then they open the floor up to questions for a few minutes and then they usher them out. And, and that's immediately after they win. More or less, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. For me, I'm sort of going back and forth between having my headphones on and watching the broadcast mm-hmm. and paying attention to the person who's on stage who just won a Tony Award, who's like in, in my face. You know? <laughs> right. Um, and then we also have people who are there that are going to be doing like video interviews with people, sort of like one-on-one things. Um, they have a line for those. All our photographers will be there and documenting the night from the red carpet to the ceremony to the winner's circle afterwards, so yeah. all the after parties, that kind of thing. So it's, so it's, it's a long day and night oh, for, for, sure. for you and guys. Yeah. Um, typically, I don't know for sure if I am this year, but I'm typically at the dress rehearsal in the morning so my day usually goes from like 7 a.m. to God knows 2 a.m. 3 a.m. exactly whatever, yeah, like, things <laughs> whatever things in in the office the next morning <laughs> working on like the aftermath so oh my goodness can't wait there's so much happening on stage behind behind the stage and then down below across exactly. the street there's <laughs> so many things well thank you again for taking your time out to talk to us and I guess we'll just see how it all plays yeah, out. We'll see Come, what happens. Yep. June 10th is when the Tony Awards are, and we'll see you at the Tonys. Thank you, Patrick. You've been listening to Ryan McPhee, the managing news editor for Playbill. Thank you so much for joining me for all of these Tony Awards bonus episodes. I've been your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, the producer, Dylan Adams, intro music by Kevin McLeod, and incidental music provided by yours truly on GarageBand. Regular episodes of Why I'll Never Make It start up again next week, and I'll be back with my co-host, Dewey Cadell. Yes, he'll be back with me. We only have a few more episodes left for season one. It's hard to believe it's almost come to an end. So you don't want to miss our last few episodes. We'll see you then. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.